0: Hello friends, how you doing? It's Matt and you're listening to episode 20 of the Look Inside Insiders Action Sports podcast. Episode 20, I can hardly believe we've reached that mini milestone. But as we have, I hope you'll allow me the indulgence of a slightly lengthier intro than usual. Uh, and if you can't be asked, listening to that, I recommend you scroll to around six minutes, which is where my chat with the uh, East Key Britain starts. But I just wanted to say a huge thank you to everyone who supported the podcast so far. Um it's been a while since I did an intro where I went through the thank yous. So, you know, episode twenty, I've earned it. So yeah, when I first started, I really didn't have any idea if people would be into this. Uh and I'm very happy to say that people seem to be genuinely really enjoying it, which is great. And people don't seem to be too asked by my voice and all the uh ums and ahs and likes and all that shit. So uh nice one thanks for that if you've listened commented shared rated me told somebody else about it sent me an email thanks very much because it's uh, really encouraged me to stick with it and if you are enjoying it then you know what i'm gonna say please think about sharing it on facebook twitter or instagram or braving the apple podcast experience to write me a review i've now got i think 50 odd five-star reviews on there which is great um i mean i've said it before they've just updated Apple Podcasts and they've somehow managed to make the app even less user-friendly and enjoyable. So if you can be bothered um, getting through that and leaving me a review, that would be brilliant. So what a response to the last episode with Sophie Hellier. Sophie broke the record for the most listens in a day and people seem to genuinely love hearing a female surface stray from the conventional narrative. On a personal note, I did also have a couple of uh, comedy messages from friends wondering if I was particularly hungover when I did that intro. Uh, The truth is my lovely wife was asleep when I was doing that. So I was trying to keep my voice down. I did listen back and yeah, it did sound like I was pretty, I don't know, pretty hungover or something. But anyone that knows my wife will know that you wake the boog up from her nap at your peril. So uh, hence the, uh, the tone of my voice on that one. And hopefully that clears that one up. But thanks for the concern, people that texted me about that one. So on to today's episode, which as I say is episode 20, and the third part of my special Irish omnibus from my recent trip to the West Coast uh, at the end of September 2017. So I've been trailing this one for a while, and my guest for this episode is Irish surfer, swimmer, academic, artist, thinker, activist, environmentalist, and explorer, East Key Britain. Um, It was my last day in Ireland, so I headed up to Galway, where I'm at the University, where she's got an office. Now, one of the great joys of doing this podcast has been uh, the ability it's afforded me to just have great conversations. And it was one of the reasons why I started the whole thing, really. Sometimes a great conversation can just be life-affirming on its own. You know, we've all been there. You've got that old mate with whom conversation flows naturally. And before you know it, hours have passed. Well, that was my experience with eSki, and it was great. I had a feeling from our communication beforehand that we'd get on well. And yeah, we, we really did. And we covered a lot of ground in this one. Obviously, eSki's surfing background and life as a big wave surfer. But we also chatted a lot about her academic work, her family's role as pioneers of Irish surfing, and how she's attempting to link these disparate strands together through her various projects and travels. Because as you're going to hear, Esky Britain's got a lot going on. As well as her academic work, she's involved with Waves for Freedom uh, and she's also just helped launch the Ocean Collective, a new brain trust for the oceans, as Outside Magazine described it. And she's one of the founding partners of that organisation. In a lot of ways, Iski's work reminded me of the pioneering uh, work being done by Leslie McKenna, albeit in a completely different arena. Because talk to Iski, and what you realise is she's trying to translate her own intuitive experiences into a wider evidence-based culture that can affect real change which is really similar to what leslie's trying to do with gb park and pipe it's about translating the unique experiences that we have when we surf snowboard and skate and uh, try to communicate those feelings and insights into an everyday environment so they're understandable in new arenas Um, and that seems to me to be the basis of e work whether it's her academic studies um, or the the traveling and the pioneering introduction of surfing in Iran that that we talk about a lot and that's uh, that's really interesting hearing how that's taken root since she first went over there a few years back. So yeah ultimately this one's about threads and how through curiosity openness, generosity and striving and working hard you can create links between the things that interest you for the greater good Um, and as you might expect from that build up it's pretty inspirational stuff so I really enjoyed this one and I hope you get as much out of it as I did. So here it is, my conversation with Isky Britain on how to be like water. Enjoy. I'm here with Isky Britain. How are you, Isky? Yeah, good. Yeah. So we finally did it. We finally tracked each other down after a lot of emailing and a lot of talking, and and uh, so we tracked down in Galway.
1: Yes, yeah. yeah. I, you never know where I'm going to be in, in Ireland at any one time. Um, but I've been I've been home a lot more, which has been really nice, after travelling for years, um, kind of all around the planet, so you wouldn't have known where he might have found me before yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, it was one of those, wasn't it, where we were like... Is it going to be Ireland? Is it going to be London? And then you were like, oh, I'm going to be here, you know. So, yeah, yeah it's, oh, it's, same put. <laughs> it's nice, nice to see you on home turf, really. Yeah. Um, so your home is Bundoran, obviously, but we're in, we're in Gaul. You, you were brought up in Bundoran, right? Yes.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, yeah. yeah. Over at that, that area. That yeah. was
1: my, yeah, surfing, playground, backyard, yeah.
0: yeah. But we're in Galway and we're in your office at the university. Yes. With Dr. Isky Britton on the door. <laughs> So tell me about that. So tell me what what. how often are you here?
1: Oh... Oh, I'm gonna get in trouble now.
0: <laughs> Not often enough.
1: Not often enough. No, I mean I love it. I've been here kind of just over a year working with this new research project um, with a team of kind of colleagues at NUI Galway. Um, it's called Near Health. So it's looking at the link between, I guess, healthy environments um, and and human health and well-being, and, and how so basically how being outdoors, engaging with nature, what impact that has on our sort of yeah our health and sense of sense of well-being um and it's looking at that in the context uh of ireland um and how people are engaging with nature here and being it's funded for three years and it's kind of opened up a space i think too in in ireland nationally to have a conversation about that looking at the link between the environment and human health um which is, you know, it's <laughs> it's not groundbreaking in one level, but I mean, it's just in kind of incredible that that hasn't been on the table for discussion until now.
0: Well, it's something that everybody knows, like anecdotally, don't they, and, yeah. and, and personally, you know, that there is obviously benefits. But I, so, perhaps you could explain a bit more than what what the work actually looks like. So, how how does that? unfold what you're actually doing are you working with communities are you working with different groups yeah to, yeah with, i guess different activities to sort of see the effects that it ha- that it has
1: <laughs> yeah i mean to that's the reason why i'm probably not so much in the office is that it's one of those projects that's really um community-based um looking at uh, what what's happening on the ground and kind of just sussing out the amazing work people are doing in that space in Ireland, making that link both in terms of, you know, healthcare and outdoor education. Um, and so it looks like everything from what my friends and the guys are doing at Moy Hill community farm. And yeah, so uh, it's Ferg yeah. um,
0: the other day. Yeah. Yeah. And Matt and Sophie, obviously. yeah
1: So it's, it's, that whole kind of movement as well um, in terms of nature connection and then also the more therapeutic restorative side of it so i've spent the summer working with another amazing organization called liquid therapy and they basically have run these surf therapy programs mostly for for kids who tend to be on the autism spectrum or have different kind of disabilities Or behavioral problems and it's just incredible to see kind of follow their journey over this summer as well and see the work they're doing so I mean anecdotally yeah it's sort of for me it's exciting as a surfer because it validates what I've you know known and felt my whole life or you know intuitively that surfing the sea nature has that amazing like healing potential
0: yeah it seems to be a common theme in a lot of the projects that you've been working on because yeah I'll put some links on my website to to some of the stuff on your website but there's a there's a there's a lot going on isn't there but it does seem to be like a common thread like the effect that environment has on on well-being because your PhD is environment and society is it
1: yeah yeah and it was looking at um in that context like the social well-being so looking at the sort of fabric of kind of relationships within households and communities um who depended on fishing right in in ireland and northern ireland yeah so that you know they have a kind of i guess livelihood tie to the to the sea and how that impacts and shapes i guess everything from their sense of identity to
0: the economic situation yeah yeah. so what what period were you looking at there
1: that was kind of from 2010 to 2012 right yeah yeah Okay. Um, and yeah so it's just i mean it's that's the other thing it's Kind of growing up in a way as a surfer, and being you know living on the coast, um, you become much more aware of constant change uh, yeah and and then how some like that the ocean environment seems to amplify that that um flux and flow as it were. Um, and so just that constant need to adapt and build resilience and, and that's very apparent when you go into these kind of communities who are much more dependent and, and close, more, I guess, closely connected and tied to it. And part of the issue is this kind of separation in a way that's happened or the illusion of a separation between people and the sea or people and their environment.
0: As in like they had traditional roles and the traditional relationship with the sea, whether that was fishing or whether, and, that, and that's now completely changed and it's how those communities are adapting to that.
1: Yeah, I I think so. I think cuz there's a lot that we um kind of the more hidden values, that's what interests me. So, okay. you know, economically, maybe it doesn't have a massive impact for talking small-scale fisheries and, and a few families, you know, what what odds almost. Uh, but then it, it's how all of those things are connected and the hidden values, I mean, in terms of, yeah, the, the knowledge, the local knowledge that they have of the environment. Um, and the how,
0: identity that <clears throat> perhaps comes with that as well. Yeah, how it
1: shapes culture, identity, yeah. sense of belonging, you know, and then that whole sense of... Um, Self worth and and the whole I guess really what came out of it, which surprised me. I kind of started off in environmental science and then ended up um, out of the sort of the PhD study was the mental health impacts. Often right. you lose that um, connection one way or another with your with your environment. Yeah.
0: So and I'm guessing the impact is is largely negative. Would you say recently?
1: Yes, and it's it's complicated. Um, and I, I think that's that's why it's been so hard to address. Um, and I think a lot of it, like for, for me, I'm most interested in looking at what is that relationship that people have with the sea and, and their environment. Um, and yeah, gosh, my head's gone. <laughs>
0: so what, what ways are people trying to cope with that?
1: Well, I think in terms of fishing communities in Ireland, it's been really hard. Um, there's just been this kind of on one level it is is so small so it's really hard to be heard or seen or understood um because a lot of the decision making happens at a really at a higher level yeah uh, with government top-down level yeah, yeah yeah so i mean that that's a that's then leads to this real sense of disempowerment so a lot of it is to do with um, with how we communicate yeah. and what we value, and you know, a lot of the decisions that are made are are driven by economics, really. Um, and yet, the country, and it's kind of not just in Ireland but globally, um, in our, we are in this so-called you know, mental health crisis, and one in four people have suffered from some kind of. Um, mental illness and um, suicide rates are rocketing, and so and then that's putting pressure on something like uh, you know the health service. Yeah. And so it's it doesn't even if you look at it from purely economic point of view, it still doesn't make sense. No. So I guess uh, that's driving part of this desire, I suppose, um, to look more at what are to try to better understand. Uh, and look at what the evidence base might be around. Right. What is it that happens when we spend more time outdoors, and when we have that different interaction and engagement with nature? Um, when the environments that we're in are healthy, um, and and it's yeah, it's amazing the evidence kind of coming out of just how positive that is on so many levels. Yeah,
0: I mean that was one of the things that I took away from going up to Moy Hill actually, and and speaking to Fergal like. A lot of it seemed to be about like self-empowerment ultimately like taking control much more for a grassroots level about the way that you live and the way that you don't need to rely on this like top-down kind of governmental approach to to sort of get the lifestyle and the life that that's going to be positive for you and also like recalibrate in a relationship with nature you know, and inspiring stuff really and your projects that you work on then so that's the theme that you're trying to, a positive theme that you're that you're trying to sort of affect, like change with some of these projects. So could you give me an example of some of the things that you've been working on?
1: Yeah, I guess it, for me, I've sort of moved from this whole, I guess, more intuitive way of like pers- my personal experience um, of this, of being in the sea especially and how that's shaped me, impacted my own health and well-being um, onto like my work sort of in practice or, or in more sort of action-oriented with um, experiencing surfing in, in a different way beyond the competitive arena in places like um, Iran and Papua New Guinea, which I'm sure we'll <laughs> talk about in yeah, a moment, yeah. to where I am right now, which is then actually then being able to Dig into well, what is what is the knowledge and understanding that goes with that? How do we build a sort of evidence base? Um, because that is what speaks to policymakers in trying to create create change, and it happens in lo- all those different levels. And so this is really, I guess, a project that's sort of opening up that space right now in Ireland that didn't exist before of looking at those links. Um, and what we're most interested in with near health is looking at both the like barriers. So why why are people disconnected in the first place or are they? Um, how people like value and understand nature, like what does that mean to us? Uh, when we say nature too, I guess that there's an assumption that it's um, separate, you know, it's something other than us. Yeah, that we're apart
0: from. There's a barrier between almost. Yeah. Yeah. So the
1: other part of the project, which I guess I'm most excited about then, is looking at the bridges. So how are people kind of... um, Surfing being one of those. Busting that illusion of separation. Okay, that's really
0: interesting. So what other bridges are there? Um, uh,
1: It's... It's sort of all these kind of micro-movements moment movements that seem to be lighting up, um, you know, like the example of like Moy Hill and growing your own food and having these community gardens um, to things like the forest schools. Um, and now they're even starting to do something similar like shore or sea schools. <laughs> right. So that's starting with your kids at a really young age. Yeah. Um, so there's this explorer program in Ireland that brings uh, that element of... Marine education and awareness, but also you're getting out and getting immersed in your environment, um, and then things like yeah, like the guys at, at Liquid Therapy and, um, but it's it's sort of happening at a lot of a lot of different
0: levels. So you've mentioned a couple of times um, the relationship that you have with the sea. So that's obviously something that has been in your life since you were really small. So when did you start surfing? How old were you when you when you first? seriously you know can you can remember being interested in surfing
1: yeah the, so for me there was never really uh like a life before surfing right. and <laughs> then I don't remember you know and uh, I don't remember my first wave or
0: it's just um, always part of your life so, yeah, yeah yeah
1: so we kind of just go on my photos and stories um I guess I was probably four years old when I first stood on a surfboard right um in Ross in Donegal where I grew up um and that I guess it's a perfect my life is a really perfect example of how you are shaped by place and by the stories that you're told and I kind of look at it now and that I have this what I kinda of like to call a blue heritage. Okay. <laughs> so how something like that sea connection or surfing can be passed on yeah. through generations.
0: Well, I mean that's one of the that's really evident in your family background, right? I mean you've got a strong heritage as you term it you know with with the history of your your family so maybe could you tell us a little bit about that because i do know that story but i think it's it's a great story because it was was it your grand that first sort of introduced your family to surfing
1: yeah i kind of i appreciate it a lot more in terms of th- this journey we're all on trying to understand who we are perhaps and how that can be like the thread of that when you follow it can be initiated like you know through our ancestry even. Yeah. um so just going back to my grandmother uh, and grandfather but my grandmother in particular was kind of had an unlikely hand in it um in one way but then she had these qualities that are i i guess i um i'm really drawn to she's now. she's still alive no she's not but um and what
0: what was she like then she
1: uh, she was an interesting person <laughs> she was hard to get close to but um i guess from, you know, the outside looking in, she was incredibly pioneering, um, really driven and ambitious. She was um, hotelier, so, but she was also like promoting something like tourism in Ireland in the 60s. So when you put that together, it's kind of mad, like now we've got the Wild Atlantic Way yeah.
0: and... Um, I mean, I've spent a few days there and it's, yeah, there's, there's, it's very it's, geared towards tourism. It's kind of buzzing yeah. now,
1: but that's only happened the last few years, yeah. to be honest. Um, the weather always being the main barrier perhaps, but... um now i guess we're starting and it's interesting how yeah we're starting to value what was always there in a different way which is this amazing coastline and somehow she had that foresight even then so they bought this um what started out as a really small kind of guest house on rasnila beach um herself and my grandfather um and then kind of grew it and built it from there
0: yeah i stayed there 12 years ago. It's great. It was amazing. Right on the beach, right?
1: Yeah. Sandhouse Hotel. It's yeah. kind of a cool name. But uh, she, yeah, so part of her role was promoting tourism um, in Ireland, in in the States. So she traveled to America in the 60s and to California.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, so it's her fault.
1: Because <laughs> <yeah. laughs> so there's
0: a lot of Americans there on there, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, and, was, I've been amazed.
1: Yeah. With the I guess again with the ties, isn't it, with yeah, that yeah. whole um Irish ancestry part?
0: Wow, perhaps. that is really pioneering though. So she and was, I she was working was that her own initiative, or was that?
1: That was with Falcha Ireland at the time, okay. the Irish sort of tourist board. Um But and I'm not entirely sure. But basically, she ended up at the beach in in Malibu, right? <laughs> or stayed at a hotel in Malibu in the 60s. In the 60s, so it's a right. whole Mickey Dora, Mickey era. Dora, yeah. Gidget. Like yeah, surfing yeah. was really hopping there. That's brilliant. Yeah, Um and I guess that would have been her first time to see it. But she also put it, put it together that in Rosnaila, the her hotel at Rosnaila. Was right on the beach, yeah. And There's waves, really nice waves, and she, yeah, she told, she did tell me the story of how she looked at her hotel room at Malibu and just thought, "We've got better waves than that at my beach."
0: It's amazing.
1: <laughs> um, and then thought this with this whole surfing light, thing, a light bulb moment. Yeah, it seemed to be in a way. Yeah, so she ended up uh, getting two surfboards brought back to a tourist
0: After
1: after that kind of visit. I think her intention was probably more to have it as sort of, you know, this cool thing to put on a wall or for tourists you know but she didn't intend on in starting any kind of surfing revolution maybe that's how revolutions start i don't know <laughs> yeah or dynasty uh, yeah, yeah yeah no i think she she was always um or at least she let on that she was always a bit annoyed that the majority of her sons turned into surf bums as she called them did she surf? Um, no no she never did she ever surfed. Try it no right. i mean she's someone that i would brilliant. love to have a conversation with yeah. yeah
0: yeah i mean that's almost it's just it's, it's a great story Right, but then your your dad, obviously her son. Yeah. And how many brothers were there then? Well, she
1: had five sons right. and four of them all, all got into surfing at the time. Yeah. Um, and dad being the kind of the middle brother, I guess.
0: So it's Barry, right, your dad? Barry, yeah.
1: yeah. And and if you're, if you're like, he was 12 years old at the time and you've got these things that land For back america yeah yeah I can't imagine how exotic that must have been yeah. having never seen surfing yeah uh, God, i
0: mean i remember being a kid in the 80s and seeing skateboarding and it was like something from another planet yeah you know? it's like yeah what yeah. is this so yeah you can so imagine. they had
1: like maybe some reference material in like reader's digest and then the traveling surfer who would come by you know which that didn't happen it was a year before they they were a year lying down on the surfboards before they saw someone who came to rasnada Really? A surfer from the UK. I can't remember his name. And um, he was standing up. He was standing up. And they were like, what? Yeah. <laughs> we're doing it wrong. Wow, yeah. that's brilliant. So it progressed from there. Yeah, um, and just
0: happened to have Bundora and East ski
1: Then they happened to, yeah, yeah. I can't imagine what that must have been like too, yeah. like so, surfing so, all those waves for the first time. Did
0: they pioneer all those breaks then?
1: Yeah, I mean, at the same time, then some. I guess there's different catalysts that happen. And... Um, that, that seem disconnected but then all come together so that was that sort tur- of turning point in irish surfing as well there was a few groups of people who started to gravitate towards it and there was a group kind of a, a, a gang of them up in northern ireland in port rush as well yeah um and they used to sort of like buddy up and go on road trips in uh, in ireland and then actually all the way down through europe and into morocco and stuff in the 70s so.
0: and then so everybody linked up and finally created the the, the community yeah
1: yeah okay. um and i grew up i guess then with all those stories you, well, you're know, named after being, wave, aren't you? yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're named after a, a wave and yeah it'd be hard i don't know if i didn't surf it would be
0: yeah did you ever sort <laughs> of chaff against that though you know like that parental sort of determinism like you will be a surfer you know was there a part of you that was always like oh you know or, yeah. or was it just you were just into it
1: 'cause I both my parents were like mad passionate about the scene, like my mum surfed in her teens um she was just she was really ill when i you know around the time I was born and when she had us as kids so she she just kind of stopped um but no i I do remember like I wasn't very good at even if I knew Dad was right and he was like being really keen and giving me tips I just you know, no, didn't want to hear it. Yeah, <laughs> that's just what you do, innit? Um, yeah. But I got lucky because there was this, um, you know, I had a few really strong sort of female mentors or role models in my life too who, who weren't my parents. I think when you're a kid, that's that's a really valuable thing. Yeah, who were they? Um, one was um, like Zoe Lally. She, she was part of another family of surfers in Rasnila, and she's like 13 times an Irish women's champion. So she was, you know, and she was older, and she ran the local surf club. And and you to yeah, just take me out surfing, and um, we go on on road trips together as well. And but I just re- remember even that, like at Rasnila she kind of get together a little group of us in the summertime to to train. Really? Yeah, and we we go out on like a really big day and paddle out, which is really hard. Through and you, we're still learning how to duck dive you finally get out there exhausted and then we, we'd have to t- like take off our, our leashes and send our surfboards in <laughs> and really? then swim back in after them
0: jesus so that tough we, love isn't
1: it it was tough love so that we'd, then we'd be prepared you that's know if that point. happened and we were out there on a big day and we lost our board that we wouldn't panic and right. we know we could do it really um wow that's that's one way to learn it <laughs> it's
0: like throwing, throwing the Trying to kid in the pool in it like, yeah, on, sure swim. Is. Nah. well
1: then maybe it was balanced by uh, there was this other amazing woman who used to always camp out at my namesake wave at East Key and and yeah. she was from the States but would come over every year and do like a stint of six months in her van and it was just this really graceful I guess soul surfer for want of a better way of putting it yeah. But uh, but just so independent living by herself in her van just loving surfing and had this uh, beautiful style, really, right. really graceful style, almost like a Rel Sun type. Okay. Um, so that was I just loved hanging out with her too. Right. So yeah. how old
0: how old were you at uh, this time? Uh,
1: I suppose this woman I was like kind of eight to. Twelve, wow, 13, so real 14. formative. Years. Yeah, you know, yeah. as I was heading into my teens, yeah. amazing.
0: Yeah. And were you aware of of the heritage of, of that was around you? Because one of the things that struck me about the hotel is is the bar, isn't there, with the, with all the memorabilia and and all the and and I seem to remember like when I was there, like hearing about just how involved in the community your family was like in terms of like organizing contests and, and and organizing the local surf community so presumably that was something that you were just completely immersed in when you were when you were younger
1: yeah and i think when you're totally immersed in it you don't see it um which is yeah until you get a chance to sort of take a step back and even yeah and then my like my grandfather's role mini britain would have you know donated land for the surf club to be built on it initiated the Risnala surfing intercounties so yeah. it's in its know it could be close to like 50 years it's yeah. the longest running event in ireland surfing event it's probably one of the longest running surfing events full stop on this side yeah you kind of saw it, and the whole point of that was to bring together the surf community from all the four corners of ireland for a big sort of i guess yeah big celebration yeah. um and party at the end of the year and it was lovely too as you know because it kind of broke the format competitively you had to enter a team and surf together as a team that represented the different counties of Ireland okay so it was a real yeah definitely brilliant sort of community building exercise Brilliant. (laughs) and kind of mad crack yeah
0: and you talked really touchingly about uh, the relationship that you got with your dad and how you grew up surfing with him I think it says on your website like still your favorite person to go surfing with yeah (laughs) I mean that's lovely and so is that how it is now still you still surf with him and
1: yeah, yeah, I was just on the phone with him the other day because there's this swell that's coming in. Yeah, and just as yeah, I leave. Yeah. Although it
0: looks, <laughs> looks a bit, i will got to be honest, looks a bit scary for me. So.
1: And yeah, to be honest, that's that pattern has remained. We I grew up as a kid and I learned how to read like swell charts and the weather patterns and all that stuff before there was the surf forecasting apps. And, right. um but, you know, even after all this time, you're, you're still trying to, like, figure out, okay, where are the best waves be, where to meet up to go for a surf. And, yeah, so we, we had that whole conversation yesterday. So I'm gonna head home with the weekend. Yeah. And, um, and surf with them. And go surf with him. Yeah. Nice. And he's I think he's he's more surf obsessed even than than I am. How old is he? 60. In his early 60s.
0: I mean, I, I want to be your dad, basically. <laughs> I was in the Maldives last year this guy. I think I mentioned this in another podcast. It's hard to remember if i'm repeating myself but i'm gonna say it anyway and he's like i think he's like 70 like aussie guy he's still charging and i was definitely like that's oh, life goals in it to still be
1: yeah yeah and it's that's yeah it's something something to be said to have a real strong life goal like that like core passion yeah your anchor isn't it and then for dad he's just so obsessed about staying surf fit because exactly. the, the number one thing in his life is that he's able to surf yeah yeah
0: right <laughs> so where are you gonna go or is it you're not allowed to say
1: where am I going? Oh, no, but I'll, I'll head back to Donegal. That's yeah. kind of, yeah, definitely where my heart lies. Um, I got a bit
0: told off the other day for mentioning a spot on there. So <laughs> got to check. Um, Donegal
1: is kind of, you know, broad. Yeah, so and options.
0: options. So what about your surfing then? So, you know, when did you start to to see it as something that you could build your life around? Um. Yeah, I
1: just... It's kind of just been that constant like that I it's the one thing I know I can't live without and I I need to always be able to do it and to the point where it's shaped everything from where I've studied to relationships to career to the choice even of university I'd yeah. go to or all these kind of, I have my own criteria. I realized that none of my friends or colleagues have in their lives. Right. <laughs> so it's like my compass, you know, yeah. uh, for, for better or worse. I mean, sometimes it's, anyways. Um, but yeah, you were asking me actually about my own... When did it become something I want to shape my life around? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think it was really a conscious choice in that it just seemed like a natural progression and path, even with doing competitions. Like, I mean, I was competing since I was eight years old. Yeah, And that was just a pathway really to, again, what I was probably most driven by was that just part curiosity and new experiences, Um and to be constantly learning, I think that's one of the things surfing really gives you because you're in an environment that's always changing. Yeah. So you're always surprised by uh, a new experience, a new wave, um, challenged <laughs> by you know you try one thing one day and then the next day, of course, it doesn't you know it, the yeah. wave doesn't allow you to do it. So. I mean, it's
0: like great greatest leveler ever, isn't it?
1: It's such a good leveler. Yeah. yeah it's very just hard. when
0: you think you, in my case, just when I think I'm sort of <laughs> get into a. And another level with it and then the next literally it'll always be the next time i surf i'm like okay right no you know yeah but it's a great thing, it's a healthy thing, isn't it because it just keeps you you know it's constant learning like you say yeah and so think, it's still like that for you now yeah, yeah maybe well, a silly question but you know
1: so i guess i was mad hungry to go it's pretty pretty restless and still i'm um, trying to like stay within the confines of my own country for three months at least <laughs> right. uh, and I'm loving it, but I get back to that in a minute, but the whole, yeah, with the surfing thing then is uh, growing up. It was this, yeah, this gateway to travel, um, either with the Irish surf team or doing like the contest circuit abroad. Um, and for me, I think the competitions were more the means to an end. Yeah. I mean, they were great in terms of they certainly give you good focus and discipline and something to aspire to. Um, but the actual, for me, it doesn't capture the heart or essence of surfing, or why why I surf. Okay. Um,
0: Can you define that?
1: Huh. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, it was challenging because I grew up in a in a family where dad was completely completely anti competition. Just didn't get doesn't get the point of them. And to be fair, I, I could see his argument but at the same time for me it was a a way to sort of channel all that energy and kind of drive I had at a young age um and you know yeah to get me out and into the world which is absolutely amazing um but what surfing is it's it's increasingly like almost what what I'm researching is is it it's um yeah it's it's like it's part therapy, it's where I find my aliveness and joy, like I, I need to be by the sea, and I only, I guess I really noticed that when I haven't been in the water um, for a few days, I mean it's even now to the point where I I work part-time here at Galway at the university, and there isn't like surf on the doorstep, you got to drive about an hour, um, that I've taken up, going go in for sea swims, Okay. Sea dips, I should say, right? <laughs> yeah. um, in the bay. Did then one of those
0: this morning, and uh, it was pretty cold.
1: Yeah, and it doesn't ever really get that warm. But there's a whole community of people who are just buzzing and being in the water, and I think there's something about that. And they all have the same story of how it's. Um, you know, people say to them, "Oh, you're mad!" Like for going in the wintertime swimming, and they're like, "No, this is what keeps me from going mad." <laughs> So there, you know, there's there's that aspect to it, or it's where people really seem to go to find a way either to come back to themselves yeah. after a tough experience in life, or in that way, it's just amazing environment to like let go, let let you go. And
0: well, it's like you were saying earlier, that there can be a barrier barrier between you and nature. That's just a really simple way, isn't it, of of removing that barrier. Yeah. Even this morning at half seven, like we did, just jump <laughs> in the sea. It being freezing. Yeah, and ten minutes being super cold but like really exhilarated yeah really simple thing to do isn't it get out
1: yeah and for me it brings to life all these kinds of concepts or theories or ideas or you know that whole fallacy of the separation between self and nature or, or how we've kind of designed our, our culture and society to be yeah separated. So, from so it from it
0: erect more barriers between it
1: yeah and, and I mean you know what it's like as soon as you jump into the cold water that instantly becomes like comes at bullshit because your entire body is is affected you know yeah. right from the cellular level to you know um, how your mood is your brain chemistry like there's so many changes happening in your body just because you came into direct contact <laughs> with the sea yeah yeah <laughs> um, so that that stuff kind of blows my mind and it sort of seems to be part of this kind of movement that's happening globally too and a lot of it is um, kind of being sparked by. There was a book by Wallace J. Nichols called Blue Mind. I um, don't know that. So this idea, I, I kind of really like this idea of, of a blue mind, you know, that um, uh, ocean connection we all have as, as humans on the planet, wh- whether we've never been in the sea or not, um, because it's the, it's the life support system for the planet. It's um, uh, the air that we breathe, you know, is created by the, it comes from the ocean. And I think that's, yeah, that's one of my favorite things to ask when I do workshops is, we've been trying to like get people to think it's like a perspective shift that needs to happen. So trying to get people to think about, um, that connection. And obviously to breathe (laughs) is, is the most important thing, you know, for life. And most people will say, when you ask them, where does the air come from that you breathe? Yeah. They'll say trees. Um, and actually then yeah it's so it's that it's amazing like i think over 70 percent is actually gen- created um billions of years ago by phytoplankton in the ocean right that's made up most of the oxygen in earth's atmosphere i just think that's incredible wow i
0: did not know that yeah <laughs> so what's the book called um
1: that you mentioned the book is called blue mind okay um, so i
0: might i'll put that in then then yeah so people can check that out
1: and it's it's a really accessible book it's written by actually a marine biologist wallace j nichols and he's kind of really been pushing and spearheading this movement of sorts around this this notion of um the effect of i guess water on our brains how being in on or near it has a direct impact on our our health and well-being and then now there's there's also like a huge body of research starting to back that up
0: well, one of the other things I wanted to ask you about, in terms of this being being with nature that you're talking about, this experience of putting yourself in a position where you can commune with nature, is is your experience of big wave surfing? Because, because yeah. obviously you're really renowned for for that as a, as a big wave surfer, and that introduces it must introduce whole new levels of fear, and it must the, the experience of putting yourself in that environment you know, is, is a completely different experience, right? So yeah. can you can you explain what what you get out of that, like that experience?
1: Yeah, I wonder, like I talk about this nature connection and we, maybe we have a tendency to overly, like positively frame it, um, which I think sometimes maybe with this resistance we have or the barrier with... In, can really connecting with nature is is partly to do with our fear, yeah. Because I find my experiences off, you know, with being really in somewhere that's very uh, I mean, nature is really powerful. It's unpredictable, um, and then when we're not, we've become unfamiliar with it. we you know fear more what we don't know, but also it's really can be really confronting. Like I some of my profoundest moments. In nature, so in this case, especially the sea yeah. and in big waves, is that it's, it's such a powerful mirroring process. You are confronted with all of your shit or baggage or negative emotions or fears and self doubts, and like they're all like, immediately there in in front of you. And in order to ride any of those waves, you have to like find a way to move through that. Yeah, yeah, and that's uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah,
0: sure. Yeah. Well, I think most people will be able to relate to that to some level. Perhaps not the level that riding waves like that forces mm. you to, but I think everybody can relate to that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an in, an insignificance thing a lot of the time, isn't it? As well, well, it must be. I don't know. I don't surf waves like you surf, but I, I'm guessing that must be one part of it.
1: Yeah, it's this weird kind of, I guess on a, on a spectrum, it's that feeling of of insignificance. So it's incredibly humbling, and you feel, in one way, so small. And then at the other end of the scale is that. I guess that sense of Oh, God. I wanted to find a different term than a sense of like complete oneness. <laughs> That's, That's sounding right, you're totally, woo-woo. but you know where the whole like totally. <laughs> maybe th- I'll that.
0: find some kind of noise, <laughs> of noise, to...
1: <laughs> with that sense of separation no, completely dissolves, where yeah. you're, you're out of your own head and ego, and you're not judging anything, and you're just yeah. I guess really, what it is is like that total presence in the moment. Yeah, um, without having to sit and try to work your way through a mindfulness app, like. It just it happens. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I mean, we went to the cliffs today, and the cliffs are down in Lahinch, and everything about that experience of, of walking down there and paddling out there, you know, must must before you've even got out there, must be must be contributing to this feeling. Because I was kind of looking at that that whole setup and just thinking, Jesus, I mean, this is, yeah, you know, everything about this is 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 humbling, even when you're just looking at the scene, you know, so to actually. Take it upon yourself to go paddle out and try and get some of those waves. Must be, yeah, mm. there's a lot going on to sort of make yourself do that.
1: Yeah, and I guess we can be really hard on ourselves, or I, I could, I should, use <laughs> the universal we. I can <laughs> be really hard on myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, in that, you know, this sense, I know, yeah, in, I guess, sure, you're in those situations um, on the big days yeah and there is so much to to work through and and confront and there's so much going on so much to take in even at a sensory level it's like somewhere at the cliffs is just mind-blowing And I think for me increasingly my approach now has been about how to I guess celebrate those those kind of micro moments like really allow myself to just take it all in and feel it and not get ahead of myself of wondering oh shit what have I what if I don't get wave today or what if I, you know, all the what ifs, which are, again, fear-based. So it's an amazing, um, I guess, going back to a therapeutic <laughs> way of looking at it with big wave surfing is that it really helps you work through all this kind of like that negative self-talk, I suppose.
0: Is it enjoyable in the moment? Or is it like when you're actually surfing out there or when, you know, or is it afterwards that you can enjoy it?
1: Oh, that's a good question. It's it's like a bit of both. Um, there's like part of the appeal is the anticipation, excitement and the build up. Um, but, you know, like a few years ago when I was starting out in those winter days of going out to check Mullock Moore and like the house felt like it would be shaking, you know, <laughs> yeah. before I'd even go outside. It was totally dark. And you know, the van sort of, st- you're struggling to keep the van on the road. You're like, my God, <laughs> what am I doing? And I've used to get a butter, like everyone gets the butterflies, but I, get so wound up about it you'd find it hard to sleep even the night before
0: i can believe it
1: yeah and it really is a mind game like so much of it comes down to how you train the mind um and i've been really excited to dive more deeply into that so now i kind of yeah i feel less controlled by those emotions and and i'm more able to be with it moment by moment and i kind of make it that like a game for myself really yeah that's
0: interesting because mindfulness definitely seems to be this subject seems to be a, an interest of yours
1: yeah just because i think it's been naturally there i mean now you can call it mindfulness but like that's when
0: that's what people call it now isn't it you know that's yeah. The, yeah
1: and it, it it's so important however you approach it or however you want to frame it and that's exactly kind of what it is yeah yeah absolutely um and it's a really sort of active form of applying it in practice which which i love i'm i'm not much for I'm not great at sitting still or <laughs> I do like reading books but I like to know like how does that uh, what what does that look like in, in yeah. practice
0: and what works for you yeah and where you can you can get that yeah
1: so even to the point where like say somewhere like the cliffs and you've got to negotiate that goat trail down there the boulders are the size of houses there's this huge shore brick that you have to sort of try to yeah it's just mad even the and that's even getting even got, that's but, yeah. before you even
0: got to line up and even yeah. if you get and then
1: you get out into the lineup and you're just like it's, yeah, it takes about an hour to sort of almost like bring all the molecules of yourself back because you have just been so blown away and in awe of yeah. the sound of the waves when you're that close to a wave like that, the the intensity, the perspective below the cliffs. It's just like, yeah, what's, sensory overload. What's so. the
0: atmosphere out on those, like out there on those days? Because obviously there's a real community of, of people. There's not many people that surf out there. What, what, how, how is it out there when, when it's like that? Is everybody talking, like looking out for each other right? or is it, cause you know, often when you surf, no yeah. one says anything, do they? <laughs> you know, you paddle out and everyone's just like, kind of just concentrating on themselves. Is it different on a day like that because the stakes are so much higher?
1: Yeah. I think that's part of the appeal as well. There's such a feeling of this of, yeah, tight knit community. Um, and... Yeah, every like I mean, everyone has their own way of approach to it and, and going about it, and yeah. their own maybe like um, rituals before they even get out there. But in and in the lineup too, it's you kind of have to be on the serious, I guess, the serious days, really in your zone. But at the same time, you're connected to everyone else because if anything happens to anyone, then it's you need ev- each other. Everyone's in, involved, yeah, yeah. Uh, involved immediately, yeah. Like yeah.
0: Okay, so when did you start to sort of? surf waves like that was that was that sort of a natural progression as you grew up surfing in Ireland and having this experience that you've explained you know starting when you were young was it just as you got older you just like yeah that's the next sort of thing for me to to take on as it were
1: yeah um I I think maybe like it wasn't my intention like I never thought oh I'm going to be a big wave surfer when I grow up (laughs) I mean, it wasn't even a thing like it only started they started surfing aliens and it was around 2007 that you know only yeah. 10 years ago really yeah. um and yeah and a lot of it was just so inaccessible even equipment wise we thought you couldn't surf those waves unless you had a jet ski or towed in and, and that's actually to be fair to jet skis really opened up the opportunity for all of that to be possible yeah um in a way, and it's interesting to see that shift back to guess back to paddle. But jet skis still play the role now because we've trained with them, and they're really important safety craft to have, especially for somewhere like the cliffs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it kind of just might have happened because I grew up, and I it was just natural for me to follow my dad out wherever he was surfing. Right. Um, and I would never second guess the waves or whether I should be there or not. I would just, I just. Just, yeah I'd, I'd go where he would go Right, so
0: it's your dad's <laughs> and, fault.
1: and then I would grow up um, which he probably wouldn't be overjoyed to hear that now he's, He, whenever it's really big and Mullock Moor is breaking he uses the excuse he wants to go find some like hidden corner or new spot to surf yeah. oh that'll
0: be working today yeah
1: yeah. 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 And, and then he's, he's eventually finally kind of admitted that he just he wouldn't be able to watch me <laughs> he'd be too scared um, so yeah sorry dad um and then you're yeah, growing up in Donegal and you just got those pretty solid, powerful reef breaks on my doorstep. And so all of that was familiar to me. And yeah. in the cold, like it takes a lot more energy in the cold. Yeah. Um and but the big wave thing, it just it just kinda happened. It was, yeah, on my doorstep.
0: Yeah. I mean that so that's one part of your surfing life that we've talked about, but the other thing you mentioned a few a few times is travel. And you, you seem it seems that you're really <laughs> um you like to link the work that you do with your travel, yeah? And you surf in travel, uh, you know. Yeah. See, so you've, you've got the, the trip to Iran that you did. You've been to Mauritania, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, is that is that that's obviously a conscious thing, right? To try and kind of link all these threads that you, that we've been talking about.
1: Yeah, I think that's what I'm really excited about. It's almost like the yeah, these sort of connecting dots or linking these threads together. It, it feels like part of this. Um, like a storytelling process almost. I do wonder, like, oh, what would it be like? And sometimes, like, God, it would just be so good to go on a trip like, I was going to say, like normal people do. Just go but like, But, you know, not even that. You just, like, go on a trip for absolutely no purpose. Like, you don't even... Because when, when you go last? on a surf trip, you're just so driven and wound up by trying to get waves all the time. But just to, like, what would it be like to just go somewhere and it's, like, you're just just going for... The crack to chill, to chill out to a like surf trip or any trip any kind of trip just to chill out relax no purpose no mission no like bigger do you, thing. Think, you're, do you
0: think you're capable <laughs> of doing that I don't think so I don't know I don't know when was the last time you did it when was the last time you went and lay on a beach with a book and did nothing
1: well like funnily enough what's happening to me this year that I'm spending a lot more time at home and so I'm having more of these experiences at home like right. even in my own county Donegal which has like because of the coastline of Ireland, there's like you know, thousands of kilometres. And then I'm discovering shit there's so much like I've never even seen. Right. So wow. I'm wildly excited by that. And then I just I've just been going on these little like, kind of adventures just just yeah, to see what I can find. Well you're
0: off to Clare Island tomorrow, right? Is
1: that, um, is that happening? So. No, no. Um, but yeah, that's what I mean. So many islands. Like I'm yeah. just mad to I could spend the rest of my life just checking out the islands yeah, you, off the you, coast of Ireland.
0: You'd never exhaust it, would you?
1: <laughs> so that's been really good for me and kind of grounding. Um, but that said, the, the travel has led me to some kind of pretty incredible places. And um definitely feel like I've been shaped massively by those experiences and my relationship with surfing has shifted as a result
0: really in what way can you characterize that
1: well i guess the big one um if we're talking about turning points in life so obviously it was like there's that family story i have that's influenced me big way of surfing and the other part would be iran
0: yeah. Um, so tell us about that, which seems like totally
1: <laughs> unlikely. Well, yeah. <laughs> like, wait, hang on a minute. You grew up in Senegal, and your life has
0: been impacted yeah. by Iran. Yeah. So in t- a, in a good way. <laughs> so, you know, let's just assume people listening to this don't know about this story. Then, so yeah, talk us through it.
1: Oh boy. Okay. So, <laughs> how long have we got? No. The um, it yeah. It kind of came about. I think timing the timing of these things in our lives and and when these things come into our lives, um always for me feel like they happen for a reason so it was 2010 and i guess i was at that edge of kind of for me being a bit more disillusioned with the whole like competitive surfing circuit um wanting something more and then starting to i just started my studies in northern ireland started the phd and so i was in that basically in that transition space and, yeah. and i was dipping my toe into the big surf world so, and so
0: what you like 22 Twenty-two, um, twenty-three at this point.
1: 2010, seven years ago. We got to be
0: careful here. Yeah,
1: yeah, something like that. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> around then, around yeah. then, early to mid twenties, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you were like looking for something new to to. To, yeah, uh, experience and get stuck into.
1: And I was still on the road a lot, and and then, I, but I was keen to go to places that were, um, help me see the world in a different way, or go somewhere I'd never been before, I didn't know anything about. And so, <laughs> when Iran landed on my lap, which basically did, it kind of came about through a friend, friends of friends, um, and who proposed this this kind of crazy surf trip to Iran. Right. And, um, I think because like Storm Rider had who was pub- that. Um,
0: oh my god! I, I only to... asked because I so I went there in two thousand and five, snowboarding. Yeah, and did we travelled around? We went up to the north, went to the ski resorts, and travelled around. And and then I spoke to Alex from Surface Path a couple of years later, and because he was he'd seen the trip that we'd done for White mm. Lines, and then he, yeah. he he phoned up and he was like, "What was it like?" I'm thinking of doing a trip. Ah, oh. um, I don't think they did it. No, but, right.
1: I mean, so that that's the thing. I think, it was, you know, we're definitely first to think about it. I'm not even the first to go I because Stormrider had published the year before uh, two
0: or three guys from France had gone. But they were more like what what we were doing, which is just almost like a bit of, yeah. you know, a bit of regime slumming, if you like. You know what I mean? It's been like, oh, let's go somewhere really weird and go, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. which I'll be honest is pretty much that. I mean, I really wanted to go to Iran. Like I knew a lot about the country. <laughs> and like I definitely was interested in the culture and, but there was definitely it wasn't a particularly selfless thing, no. you know. Whereas what you've done is nobler, let's say.
1: Oh, it didn't start out selfless at all. It was it was kind of the same thing. It was like, oh, cool, let's you know go to some far flung corner and surf, see if we can get surf. In. but it was was sort of feeding to that narrative of the whole like adventure surf trip yeah. and get a cool story out of it. Yeah. Okay. So you are you know? as bad as me. Yeah. Funny. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just need to be straight up about that. <laughs> Um, but then you add in a few twists and turns, and like a lot of people, and basically there was, there, were, yeah, numbers fell by the wayside when when push comes to shove to get people to go to somewhere like Iran. Yeah, it t- it's was, a big commitment.
0: People were scared when we went. Yeah, A couple of lads I went with were like, oh, you know, really didn't want to go. Yeah,
1: people were really scared that I was. I was going, like my family included. It took them a you know, good few good few years for me to. I mean, some them actually, it's a really cool spot. Yeah, um, it was actually really friendly. It was oh yeah. really nice. And then the visa process was kind of a nightmare at the time too. Yeah. And so one thing and another, it ended up like just being myself and this other woman, Marion Poiseau who was an, at the time an aspiring French filmmaker. And she just come, she just came along with a really like small camera, um, and I rocked up with my my pink surfboard. <laughs> uh, with the guy who organised the trip, um, Stuart, who writes a lot for Lonely Planet, and he missed his flight out of france and basically just didn't show up <laughs>
0: right <So laughs> couldn't get you, there so, so you were just in Tehran, so
1: like, like we, but then he had all the information on that he kind of i didn't normally i'd did yeah. you get
0: like a media visa or a tourist no, visa? no i mean
1: the first time we were on a tourist visa because right. um, we had
0: to get media visas they, they they yeah and i was and it was really expensive but i was a bit like yeah okay yeah I'm
1: definitely
0: yeah, move, a, go by the book yeah. on this one
1: and and for us because we didn't yeah it was it was very much super super low key yeah and. So it was myself and Marion and I'd never met her before. So our first time meeting in Tehran, two women, one with a camera, and one with a surfboard. Yeah. And we're like, okay, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> here we are. <laughs> and we don't really know where we're going or anything really. Um, so where'd you go? We just decided, oh sure, you know, we got, we're here now, we may as well carry on. And yeah. that's kind of, that was kind of, was definitely solid bonding happened there with the two of us. And we went with this, it was like a tour company. From, they are from Shiraz, beautiful city, but like the, the foggiest notion about where we were going either.
0: Because
1: right. <laughs> where we went is like where you even still, it's kind of changing a bit now, perhaps because of the surfing. But when you talk to Iranian people like, and tell them where you're going to like Chabahar. It's like, what? Why would you go there? Right. So it's in the southeastern corner of Iran, definitely the remotest, most marginalized. So is that like
0: Baluchistan? Sort yeah, of area? it's in the
1: Sistan, Baluchistan province. Okay,
0: between Pakistan yep. and Iran.
1: and Right next to the border of it's Pakistan. Pro- yeah, proper borderlands. Basically. Yeah, total borderland. Yeah. With everything that goes with borderlands. Yeah. It's with the, you know, drug trafficking and yeah, the smuggling. Sure. And the, yeah, and so I had like, a, Iran gets negative press. Yeah. This part of Iran gets like, the like unbelievably the worst, like, the worst part. Yeah. which i mean there's stuff obviously stuff goes on you know it's nature of the world but yeah. I mean, it's so not an example of what the everyday experience is like and what the people are like no. and, and it's such a shame because the baluch people and their culture is just like mind-blowing hospitality like, they feel like i've got a second family over there yeah there.
0: Uh, this is one thing i thought about visiting that country of all the places that i've visited that's the furthest gap between what you think it's going to be like and what it's actually like, which is always the way when you go to those countries. You you go to somewhere like the States, you kind of know what you're going to get. But over there, you go with one expectation, usually brought on by the news and popular Mm. culture. And then when you're there, it's just completely different. And the and the hospitality. I mean, it was just incredible. You know, yeah. we were getting pulled in off the streets <laughs> into people's houses, and yeah. you know, and and it's, it's, it's really humbling. It's,
1: it's genuine as well. I find yeah. like I, I, yeah. I mean, it's such a complex place, and there are all these sort of paradoxes. And then you get you know, below the surface, which takes time. So that was twenty ten. We went back in twenty thirteen, which was probably the real turning point. Um, with. Um, driven but you know with a different motivation born out of our kind of naive experience of the first trip because we got waves and then combined those images off that were quite powerful and I didn't really appreciate it at the time of a woman surfing completely covered in Iran so yeah. you can mix those things up they kind of bust a lot of stereotypes for people as well um, and drew, drew a lot of attention but for us more importantly, it caught the attention of other like amazing sports women in Iran who are in the more sort of action sports scene, which is really big there.
0: Yeah, it's huge. Especially with scene. like snowboarding, yeah, massive snowboarding scene. So they already
1: had this board sports kind of counterculture. They have a huge like urban population. Actually, quite a lot of affluence and wealth for, for yeah, the, yeah, and and a mass, well. massive young. Young they are just
0: hungry for Western cultural influence, right? Yeah. yeah. And
1: so with the surfing, now, there's this weird kind of dichotomy or, or mix, like a kind of social mix that's happening. Um, and it's interesting to see them navigate that. But you have this mixing of class. So it wasn't even so much gender with, um, you know, women being able to surf, but the, uh, the, yeah, the class divide. So with people coming with that totally different perspective and mindset from within Iran, from the cities like Tehran to this part of their own country where they just would have avoided, let's be honest. Um, And mixing with people who they would have had probably very different opinions with about, but then when you have this shared experience, and like you said before, how the sea is this total (laughs) leveller. And when you're introducing something playful into the mix like surfing, it, it Yeah, it creates a very different set of opportunities and possibilities. Um, And then I think the other narrative I really like about Iran is because those women were really up for that sense of wanting to experience more and to push their own boundaries and inviting Marian and I to come back to try out surfing, um, especially Mona and Mona Saraji and Shala Yassini. They're the two first. The, as you know, as far as we can tell, in Sistan-Baluchistan, that part of Iran, which is op- the only part exposed to open ocean swell, quite possibly the very first Iranian surfers, right? Not just Iranian female surfers,
0: yeah.
1: Um, and so the story that persists and will, I guess, will always remain in terms of Iran's surf history. Now, yeah. um, that it was started by women,
0: which must be a really great, you know, going back to the story about your grandmother and like the one, the one seed. That can create a culture. <laughs> it's it's kind of a similar thing, right? Yeah,
1: and I definitely didn't appreciate it at the time, but we're going back every year since twenty thirteen, and and they we get to learn a bit more about each other's stories, and they absolutely they they love that story. They crack up about it now, but they made the immediate connection yeah, when yeah. I yeah. told them about my family and grandmother yeah. and like, ah, so you're doing here? I'm like what?
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's not what I planned, but <laughs> so
0: it's, so just to be. Claire, it's, so is it is a charity? Is it? Is it?
1: No, is I guess it called Waves of Freedom. It, well, Waves of Freedom kind of begins started as as more, um, yeah, it, it never it didn't become a charity, but more a sort of yeah, a non profit voluntary organization, basically a container where we could raise funds to bring surf equipment. Over to somewhere that was, it just didn't have access to any of it to begin to start to build something. and create more opportunities and possibilities that way and sort of basically to, to fundraise for those kinds of things. Yeah, um, And then now it's, it's served its purpose, really, after kind of the first three to four years, um, surfing has really taken root there. Right. And it's much more now about how we facilitate more skills-based and knowledge-based sharing. So like last year, running a, a lifeguard, surf lifesaving kind of wow. training workshop, um surfboard shaping so yeah. I think a few guys have been going over um from Europe um and then one of the guys in Tehran who's kind of self-taught himself how to shape surfboards and so yeah so there's these kind of impromptu surfboard shaping workshops happening then there's the designing of new like surf kit with with women and other like your know, female athletes from Iran to make that more accessible they set up their own, like, they have their own governing body now. Like, Iran doesn't do things by halves. They, like, go big. And they like organizational hierarchies for better or worse, too. So there's a surfing association really? now. But they've facilitated having, like, the first surf instructor, ISA surf instructor course. And, and that's
0: a, go- a government thing, then? Yeah. Right? So, so they've become involved.
1: In the space of, what is that, Th-
0: four years. Really? Yeah. Wow. And what do you think... <laughs> And still That's really interesting, isn't it? So, yeah, th- what, what do you, could you could you explain? Do you do you know what that how they see it? Why they're doing it? They, it might seem a silly question, but I'm just interested because yeah. it's quite incongruous, isn't it, to yep. think of that rate? I mean, it is a regime, isn't it? You know, yeah. to and um, why they would suddenly co-op that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was. I was curious to see how it would evolve, like. In a way, you're also like, it's totally ignorant, naive, and definitely egoic to think that you have any control over shaping a direction that something can take when yeah. you initiate it. You but it's e- also that need for like this radical sort of self awareness and reflection of the impact we have by our own actions when we go to these places um, and how we do it. And I think fundamentally, it was so important to keep open communication and. Diverse participation, and really keep supporting and pushing for the involvement of women and girls who want to do it, right? Uh, and to allow that to be seen as something that can that's not only ac- accepted but. Th- Increasingly, can something that can be celebrated, even in these, like especially local communities where it's a lot more conservative. Yeah. And so they're looking at ways to sort of bring down barriers without creating more conflict uh, or polarization, which is which is tricky. So it isn't about going in there, creating change or liberating women. Or I mean, that's um, I always think a way to sort of point fingers. But I find the whole process of surfing there um, and its impact it's not going to create like something like social change by itself. It's just some people going surfing. Yeah. But what it has done is open it, it opens up this space of possibility yeah. that didn't exist before and for these new relationships and interactions to happen. Yeah. And then you just need to keep allowing that to open and not close. And it's interesting to see surfing take hold. It seems to go that way. It gets co-opted. By different people for different reasons. People value it for different reasons. Yeah. Part of the beauty, but it becomes either something that's controlled and organized um, with this, you know.
0: That's happened Like everywhere. like the
1: sportization that, of it that's,
0: that happens everywhere, though, so not it, yeah. to, to be fair, like every, the same every with like free
1: running and skateboarding, and but then but
0: also surfing specifically, like yeah. every every culture that's adopted surfing has done the same thing. So
1: it was interesting to see it happen there yeah. too, and yeah. the, so it that got is
0: interesting. I hadn't at yeah. all thought of it like that.
1: And there's there's the, I mean, there's that split as well. There's the people who want nothing to do with the like so they were they the, remember the glory days. There's
0: already the soul three three years the, ago
1: when it was grassroots.
0: They're already <laughs> having the Kelly Slater wave farm debate. Brilliant.
1: Oh yeah, I'm, I might. They could see there even being like. I'm not surprised. I don't think it'd be long before there's wave parks in Tehran. <laughs> that's
0: that's brilliant. Uh,
1: but it, yeah, I do think it like allowing it to grow in different ways, and then it serves different needs. And of course, people are seeing it, either seeing either you know, a tourism business potential in it in an area that's re- lacking in a lot of those things.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine they get many visits down no,
1: there. No, uh, but there are, I guess, a lot. Uh, yeah i mean it's interesting to see so and then with iran politics are just interwoven with everything you cannot separate yourself from them so for me too it's also important to to keep offering my support and keeping that connection and especially with the the local community there um and and the girls and women who surf. but also you know you just giving it space to, to allow it to become its own thing to flourish on its own. yeah, yeah. Uh, so i hope i'm gonna go back next year hopefully um, yeah
0: so how many times have you been over there now
1: about five wow yeah um
0: i'd love to go back yeah yeah i was, was gonna go back a couple of years ago but then there was there's quite a lot of unrest in tehran so i just didn't end up going but yeah that's brilliant right so, you, so are you proud that. are you proud of that
1: yeah it's just um I feel like it's constantly evolving and it's amazing how it just feels like it's now part of my makeup. Like right. I'm I'm forever more going to be connected with that part of the world and the people there yeah. um, because it's, such a, it's had such a profound impact on me. Even to the fact of like getting back to how it shifted my perspective on what surfing could be or how it could be used um, and in particular with the women there and the kind of like relationships I made with some of them in one woman in particular Shireen Garami who's Iran's first female triathlete and she came along in 2015 we got chatting on like Twitter or something (laughs) and then I was like oh actually we're gonna go in a month's time would you like to come join us and so off she off she came and it was lovely to have her perspective because she's not a surfer but understands what it is to be an, an athlete a woman in water who's Iranian and she's sort to represent Iran doing triathlons around the world. It's just incredible. Um, but also seeing the, um, I guess that healing potential again of the sea to be a space that helps build confidence and create connection rather than instill fear. So we, kind of came about it in a different way because surfing had never been done there before. You didn't have to teach it like how it's always been taught. You didn't have to make it about competitions. Um, So instead, and for women too, it's it's such a, it's a lot of things to take in. And surfing is so novel. You have lots of spectators. You're in this open space. You're trying to like be in waves for the first time. Then you've got the surfboard. Then you have all this fabric clothes you have to wear. So we took it first to the swimming pool, which was this sort of, you know, close space environment. Everyone could show up how they wanted to be. It meant local women could participate. Um, so our families were happy for them to, to go in this sort of all women environment. But it was really about breaking down what is it about our connection to water? How does that make us feel? And how, how do our bodies feel in water? And so it just was this really um, beautiful experience and that built trust and confidence um and this yeah connection to to water and and to that environment and then taking that from the swimming pool into the sea um it just evolved their whole learning experience so much more and, and, and better and it became also this really playful thing like we went then in evening after the swimming pool to the shore break and was just trying to trying to get people to under, like I grew up with it, so understanding the qualities and characteristics of waves. Yeah. So a lot of that actually does. You, you don't get taught. You learn how to surf and it's all about the equipment and the technique. And standing up. Of and, how to stand up. Yeah. But what they leave out are like the waves. Like well, how just, do waves work? And you what just are ex- they all about? You're
0: <laughs> expected to, well, that <laughs> knowledge gets accumulated almost like incrementally, doesn't it? You know, it's a bit like it comes along Baxton. Yeah. And you know, you're like, oh yeah, right. I'm beginning to understand. That's how a set works. And yeah. Uh, and and this is where I should sit and and those kind of things.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we kind of went about creating this much more in like in making that much more intentional of how to uh, yeah. Yeah. How to intentionally connect with with your right. natural environment. So that it became like this, we started to call it like how to be like water. <laughs> um so it was kind of Zen. And then just this this taking the sort of competitiveness out of it and making it more playful as well. Literally going in and allowing yourself to be smashed by waves, as you would have as a kid, and then you learn very quickly of, of the force and energy and how far that can carry you, and and then it became this. We're kind of developing it into a program, um, that so I've kind of taken this sort of those lessons learned in Iran and starting to do it elsewhere, and um, we cr- created a kind of a platform or home for that at the moment for for these i i, I these things that we're experimenting with, and it's called Like Water. Um, and that's where we're building this sort of like programs and workshops to, to kind of experiment with how do we do that? How do we become more like water? How do we connect with these environments that maybe seem intimidating or scary? And within that are all the things of how you overcome like fears and challenges in the everyday anyways. Um, so one example is like this wave play one, like what happens if you meet a wave with resistance? Um, it's such a powerful metaphor for life. Versus, if you allow yourself to like surrender and yep. kind of melt into it and soften into the wave, and you are much more able to move with it and you get carried, rather than like expending all your energy and getting getting smashed and beat up because you resisted it. Um, so then it's it's that's just a really kind of I suppose visceral way to to get it, uh, people to. Begin to understand that in their own lives, of where they're where they're meeting resistance and why, and how how do you find flow? It's like there's you know again that seems like such a fluffy kind of not fluffy, but it's like well, what does that actually look like? How does it how does that feel? How do you how do you find flow? (laughs)
0: Yeah, and are you finding people (coughs) understanding those connections?
1: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have. Because
0: it's a metaphor, isn't it? Obviously, yeah.
1: Basically, it's this really. And I think it's
0: surface. Powerful metaphor, or snowboarders, or yeah. anyone that's in sport, you kind of, you kind yeah. you kind of can, can understand that metaphor. Yeah. But do, do people need help with it that perhaps don't have that background, or is it something that people can understand?
1: Yeah, I think I think, um, I think like, metaphor is such a powerful way to communicate, anyways. But I also think we have this over dependency on. Um, in terms of knowledge, it being very word-based or
0: um, rather than experience-based. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: so this is something you don't have to like get it. You don't have to. It's a no. feeling. But you almost flip it the other way, and you have to. You sort of feel it first, and then you still can make sense of it on yeah. reflection afterwards. So it doesn't. Yeah, you don't have to. Ex- oh there's no over explaining needed like you start to get it once you put yourself
0: in yeah once you you if you can allow yourself to to step
1: out of your comfort zone and and trust that space for a moment then yeah
0: right wow that's fascinating so what what, what's the next trip for you then because you know you're busy that's what i'm gathering
1: (laughs) (laughs) every says I'm busy and okay, trying to find a, a way to reframe that as yeah. well I, I mean you've got um, a lot going on I do I yeah. think it's because everything I do I'm widely passionate about it yeah so I just get really excited and it's I'm, I'm doing a lot but for me it feels like it's all all connected I mean didn't always feel like that way and I definitely felt a lot more fragmented in myself and then felt hard to bridge those worlds of, well, you're, you're, are you a surfing athlete or are you an academic or are you an activist or are you an artist? Like, what's going on? <laughs> and I find they're just different mediums of exploring and communicating. The same Things that, that we've talked about. Yeah.
0: Because there are definite themes, aren't there? Yeah. That, that, that link each of these endeavors and activities.
1: Yeah. So instead of, I used to sort of try to, you know, separate them or, Put them, compartmentalize them so yeah. I didn't seem like a crazy person. And then increasingly, actually, I'm just letting
0: yeah. it all like the boundaries be the story.
1: dissolve. And it just means this is all of who I am. Yeah. Yep. And it's, it's make things a lot easier.
0: Yeah. Well, you've been <laughs> doing, you know, you do like quite a lot of public speaking, don't you, on this? And um, you've done a Ted, TEDx talk, haven't you? Mm-hmm. And um, it seems like you do quite a lot of that. Is that something that you enjoy or?
1: <laughs> um, Actually, with the TEDx talk, I mean, doing that in Dublin at the time was amazing. and It opened so many doors. And, you know, you just think with your own story, it it led to this kind of interesting process of reflection for me. You have to dig into what is it that I've got that's worth telling? Like, why would anyone want to hear my story um and so it yeah about how we communicate as well and was interesting but yeah the whole public speaking thing so the tedx talk was at the grand canal theater uh, in Dublin at the time. And it was, I think capacity is about 3,000 people. Yeah. So <laughs> a sea of people. Yeah. And I'd done, you know, a few presentations before that, but not, you know, not nothing to that scale. And I just, I will never forget the feeling of just walking onto that stage and like you're committed then, the, like the lights on you, the timer started. Um, and it's quite a... And you can't very well go and run off at no. then. Well, you could, but... <laughs> and
0: also there's quite a high bar on TED Talks.
1: Uh-huh. You know, And. Some...
0: I had some good speakers on there,
1: so I had. To, I remember just I remember every fiber of my body just like screaming at me, get off the stage! Right, um, like what are you doing here? And then then afterwards, just feeling like I would happily take on, like get a thirty footer on the head, and more like more than have to do that again.
0: Really? <laughs> right,
1: but that said, that more you more you put yourself in yeah. those situations, it definitely it it does become.
0: It's just another way of controlling your fear, isn't it? Ultimately?
1: Yeah, I was going to say it becomes easier, but no, I just think yeah, you just get more intimate and, with your fear. And, proje- <laughs> and also
0: I think a lot of it is a lot of that kind of thing is just about projecting how you project your intention, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Because I think ultimately an audience wants somebody on a stage to succeed and they, I, I often find feel like they just need permission to enjoy it. Yeah. And if you've got the confidence or you appear to have confidence, then that's almost all, you, all they need really. And then all you need is a little bit of affirmation from the audience, and you're probably away, aren't you? You know.
1: Yeah, like I actually use the same techniques really? <laughs> that I use before I went into a heat when I was competing at surfing, or right. before I go big wave surfing. I do the same <laughs> before I go on stage to speak, um, and a lot of it is for me all those things actually. But say with public speaking, is about it's about creating connection, and what is it that. Um, what is it that creates connection? And I think it's when you're really in yourself, when you're speaking very openly and from the heart, when it's really authentic um, and when you yeah have that sort of trust in your own self and knowledge and... Yeah. And kind of just, just fully embrace that and own it and then let go of the expectation or judgment of how you think other people might see it or feel it. Yeah. And just kind of own that. And then...
0: Easy to say now. It's so
1: easy to say. It's really hard to like... <laughs> when
0: you got 3,000 people. Yeah. And a, and, a camera, <laughs> and a camera on you. Yeah. Well, I'll obviously put that up because it's a fascinating um, talk that... and. I'm sure a lot of people have seen it, but yeah, I yeah. think people really enjoy seeing of, it after hearing you talk today, you know. Be. It's cool, that
1: was 2013 as well. So I actually did that three days after I came back from Iran. My mind was like blowing. Wow. And then I had to piece week. together the talk <laughs> in three days because obviously the talk completely changed based on my experience yeah, in yeah. Iran. Yeah. Um But it was, so that it was nice. It captures that story as well of yeah. the beginning of surfing there.
0: Yeah. So we should... What are we on? We're on an hour and 15. Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah, no, it's gone quick. It's been great. It's gone really quick. I mean, it's a good sign. Means, yeah, um, yeah. Um, so I guess the question I often ask people on this is, um, it's, it's quite pertinent with somebody like yourself. He's, he's got so much going on. Like, what, what is the next thing? Like, what, Do you have any ambitions left? Or is there, is there something in the future that, that you're thinking about? that?
1: Um. Yeah, I guess it's it's kind of this year has been a lot more about, I guess reconnecting to my own sense of belonging and really feeling the support of that, um, finding that here in Ireland, like knowing this is this is home for me.
0: You mentioned that a couple of times. I think yeah. when, we, when we first met, you were saying, yeah, you know, I'm trying to stay home more and and appreciate that.
1: Yeah, and I I, th- I suspect obviously it's. I I have the um very grateful to have had the opportunity almost to like go away and come back and then you can see and appreciate things in in a new way and it, and you kind of have a yeah, different perspective on it all. But yeah, that that's kind of um where I'm at really. Like actually what what excites me most is seeing if I can dig in for the winter and I'm really want to immerse myself in all the subtle changes that happen throughout a winter season with the sea in Ireland and if I can really tune into that and allow myself to commit to being there, um, fully showing up on, on those big days and just allowing whatever happens to happen. Yeah. But putting myself in that space and challenging myself just personally, um, that relationship I have with with the sea through big waves at somewhere like Mullock I mean, I've got a paddleboard shape that I've never ridden before and it will be, I've paddled out a few times there, but it will be the first time really trying to get stuck in and seeing if I can get a good wave out there. That's the height of my, yeah, that's that's my big sort of dream, goal, ambition right now. Wow,
0: brilliant. Yeah. Well, that's been great, Esky. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time. Um, we better go and do some pictures, eh?
1: Yeah, okay. I've got a
0: planes, cut Actually, <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. no, that's been great. Um, yeah, thanks a lot.
1: Yeah, thanks. Oh, and just for the whole like my um, voice.
0: How <laughs> you have about your voice? On you? <laughs> no. I Are just have to
1: explain that... that I don't. Or maybe you know, I don't sound like this normally, but I have been free diving the last few days, and I got over enthusiastic and stayed in under like stayed in the water for too long, and my body got cold.
0: You got a cold. Everyone that listens to this is probably (laughs) basically one in five of these I've got a cold. So,
1: okay. Yeah. yeah, You know, (laughs) it's my uh, podcast voice. (laughs) Yeah. There you go.
0: Um, Yeah. Well, thanks again. So, there you go. That was my chat with East Key Britain. And yeah, I did just about make my plane. Although, to be honest, that conversation would have been almost worth missing a flight for. And I kind of wish that we'd been able to carry on, really, because I've got no doubt we could have gone on for a little while longer. But as you could hear, Isky's pa- passion and articulacy shone through with that one. I'm really interested to see where she takes her career next, how she contributes to the new Ocean Collective idea. And uh, yeah, I look forward to uh, to following her career ever more closely after that. I mean, one of the other themes that I thought came out of that conversation was the importance of role models. And it's really interesting to contrast that with the discussion I had last episode with Sophie. And if you've been listening to this podcast since the start or following the whole series so far, you're going to realize like I'm beginning to realize that role models are something that are coming up a lot. And the casual power of them is something I'm starting to find fascinating and a little bit appalling in a way, really. Because I think in some way, some ways we as adults forget this casual everyday power that we've got among kids and young people in our lives. And anecdotes like the one we heard from Sophie last week and the ones we heard from Iski today really demonstrate that. A chance encounter with an inspiring adult at a young age, a toxic relationship with a supposed leader. It's, yeah, it's no understatement, as we've been hearing, to say that these encounters can set the tone for entire lives. Anyway, thanks Iski for coming on the show, and yeah, um, I hope everyone enjoys it. So, on to the usual post-pod uh, housekeeping At the time of me speaking, we're a couple of days away from my conversation with surfers Noah Lane and Sandy Kerr at the Finisterre store in London, and if I get that up in time, I'm planning to get it up probably the day before, then yeah, hopefully a couple of you can uh, still get tickets, and if you have got tickets, then I'm looking forward to meeting you there. I'm going to use this one as a bit of a dry run, as I said. I am recording it, but I'm going to see how it goes before deciding whether to put it live as an actual show. Um, I've also been chatting to other people about doing looking sideways live shows in uh, various iterations. And I, I'm just going to sort of keep thinking about it, keep working out the best way of doing it. And, uh, yeah, once, once I make those decisions and you'll know more about it here. So that's it for this week. Next week, we head into the twenties episode, within episode 21. And that is with none other than Aussie surf legend and three times world champion, Mick Fanning. Um, I was over in Hossegor for a few days recently and while I was there I popped around to see Mick and we had a good old chat about his life and career and uh, I really enjoyed it and Mick proved to be quite the laid-back legend so yeah listen out for that one I mean I'm aware that Kyle Terman's also just interviewed Mick so it will be uh, interesting to contrast our two approaches and to see uh, what we both came up with so I'm going to go and listen to that after I've recorded this so yeah in the meantime have a great week and uh, see you next time Bye-bye.